0: Hi, I'm Adam Sanford. I'm an academic life coach and professor in Los Angeles. And I'm Dinur Bloom. I'm a college professor in Los Angeles. And this is Learning Made Easier, a podcast where we discuss how we learn and how we teach and how they overlap. Welcome back to Learning Made Easier. This is episode 101 writing as construction one, building a paper from the ground up. Many college students and high school students are told to write papers, and often the directions are limited to formatting. Double spaced, 12 point times New Roman font, a certain number of pages or a certain number of words, and that's all you get. In college, you often don't get much more than that for directions. Now, this is a problem because teachers need to learn how to give better directions. But at this point, your professor might choose a topic or give you a list of topics you can choose from, or in college, you might be left on your own to pick out a topic.
1: The hows of writing a paper go way beyond formatting. What are you writing about? Who are you writing to? Why does this matter? In this episode, Adam and I will go over the basics of how to build a paper from the ground up.
0: Now, in this episode, we are going to talk about the five things you need to identify before you really start writing your paper. You gotta hammer these things down. And they are the topic, the main points, which we call signposts, the argument, the sources, and the audience. These are all things you need to have in front of you before you put even one word into your paper. So first, the topic. When you're writing, that's the first thing you need to do, right? Choose a topic. If your teacher chose the topic, great. But if you had to choose your own, you need to find a way to do that. So I've developed something called the ACE method, angry, curious, excited, A-C-E. So what you want to do is think about the main topic of your class, and then think about a problem that's related to the main topic of your class that makes you angry, another problem that makes you curious, and a third problem that makes you excited. One of these will be your paper topic. So an angry problem makes you, well, angry. It makes you want to be an advocate for the people who are being harmed by it. It lights a fire under you. It pisses you off. A curious problem is one that makes you wonder, how does that happen? Why does that happen? And this is the kind of problem that makes you act more like a scientist. You want to figure out how it works. And then finally, an excited problem makes you want to tell everyone about it, mainly to raise awareness. And this kind of problem makes you act kind of like a salesperson because you want to get the word out so once you've identified these three topics these three problems pick one and yes eeny meeny miny moe is a valid way to do it if you really can't choose otherwise then save the other two topics for other papers that you'll write someday they just won't be this one
1: next narrow down your topic to something that will fit the page length you're allowed for your paper a good method to do this is time place and people first Figure out a time you wanna talk about. And if it's in the modern era, say anytime after 1900, make it no more than 10 years long. This will limit how many sources you'll be presented with when you start doing your research. Second, figure out the place you want to talk about. Try to keep it to something about the size of one of the smaller US states or a county in one of the larger ones or a city. You can even go smaller than that, right down to one neighborhood if you want. Finally, and if necessary, figure out who you want to talk about. Sometimes the where will dictate the who. If you're talking about Boyle Heights in Los Angeles during the 1990s, you're probably going to talk about the Black community. But if you've chosen Los Angeles, there are many different communities and you'll need to figure out which one or ones you're talking about.
0: And another thing about time, place, and people that literally just came up yesterday with a student, sometimes you aren't talking about a physical space, like if you're talking about, say, cyberbullying, well, then your place becomes a site or a platform, right? So if you're talking about cyberbullying, you might want to talk about it just on YouTube or just on Facebook or just on TikTok. But you probably don't want to talk about cyberbullying across the entire internet because that's kind of like saying across the entire world, and that's really not going to limit your topic in ways that you need to limit it. Now, when it comes to the main points, which we call signposts because you're sticking a sign in your paper saying, hi, reader, we're talking about this thing now. Okay, so these are your main points. Once you've identified which topic you're going to talk about, then you need to build the argument. And an argument is made up of several main points or signposts, which are cause and effect statements. So to create your main points, think about your topic. Okay, so make a list of six or seven things that cause your topic to happen. So not knowing people might lead to prejudice, or stereotypes might lead to prejudice, or having had a bad experience with someone of a different race might lead to prejudice. These are all causes of your topic. And then when we get to the effects of prejudice, we want to talk about a list of six or seven more things that happen because your topic happened so prejudice can lead to dissolution of communities prejudice can lead to higher crime rates prejudice can lead to higher unemployment. Your first list these things make my topic happen that's your cause list and the second list my topic makes these other things happen that's your effect list. So make sure all these things are stated as short phrases. You don't want big, long sentences. Just a short phrase, discrimination, poverty, hunger, homelessness, um, you know, COVID-19 vaccination refusal. These are all topics and all the causes and effects should be equally short, okay? Short, pithy, and to the point. Don't state them as long sentences. So now you've got a list of causes of your topic and you've got a list of effects of your topic. Pick one list. If you have to, flip a coin and save the other list for other papers. So if you chose the cause list, what you're going to do now is combine each cause with your topic. Cause number one causes topic. Cause number two causes topic. Cause number three causes topic, and so on, until all your causes are combined with the topic to make short statements that all end with the topic. If you chose the effect list, you're going to do it the other way. Combine each effect with your topic. Topic causes effect number one. Topic causes effect number two and so on until all your effects are combined with the topic to make short statements that all start the same way with your topic. These short statements that you've just written down are your main points. They are your signposts. They're your reader's guides to what is coming up next, and they're critical to building your paper.
1: The argument, you've windowed down your topics from three to one, and you've chosen whether to go with causes or effects. Now you have to audition your signposts to see which ones get to be in the argument. Take your list of signposts to the library and ask a librarian to help you search for research sources that will back up what the signpost says. The Ones that have the highest number of possible sources are the ones you keep. If your paper is supposed to be eight to 10 pages long, keep the top three signposts. If it's 12 to 15, keep the top four or five signposts. We'll come back to the sources in a minute, but now you construct your argument of the signposts that had the best research support. Take your signposts and put them together into one sentence like this. Cause number one, cause number two, and cause number three, cause topic. Or topic causes effect number one, effect number two, and effect number three. That combination of signposts is your argument. Put signposts together and you have an argument. Pull an argument apart, you have signposts.
0: And now we're going to talk about sources. So look at each list of sources for each of the signposts that made it into your argument. So when you went to the librarian and you said, I've got these list of seven signposts or seven statements, which ones have the most research support, maybe signpost one. Or maybe uh, cause number one had 40 possible sources and cause number three had 35 and cause number four had, you know, 15 and none of the others had anything like that. So these are the three that got in there cause one, three, and four. Now you're going to look at all that list of sources for cause one. And for each signpost, you're going to have a separate set of sources. Okay. For each signpost. So for the first signpost, look at the abstracts of the sources that showed up in the search. And an abstract is a short paragraph, it's at the start of each article, and it essentially summarizes the whole article. Here's what we were curious about, here's how we collected data, here's what we found. In those abstracts, look for statements that look like your signpost. So if you have cause number one causes the topic, then look for statements like cause number one causes the topic, or under these conditions, cause number one causes the topic, or with this population, cause number one seems to be correlated with the topic. It doesn't have to be word for word, but something fairly close, so you know, okay, that article's going to back up this signpost. It says the same thing. Do this again for your second signpost and its sources, and then for your third signpost and its sources. Try to find three solid sources for each signpost, and write those sources down in your teacher's preferred citation style, whether it's APA or MLA or Chicago style or ASA or whatever. Write it down now, put it in the right format, and then you don't have to worry about formatting it later. Okay. do it now so it's out of the way.
1: The audience, the last thing you need to do in this part is to pick an audience. The audience has to meet two criteria to work as an audience. It has to care about the problem. And if that audience's job description says they should, that's good enough. And it has to have the social or legal power to do something about the problem. If you only have one of these two, your audience is not a good audience. This means victims of the problem and creators of the problem are not good audiences. Victims care, but have no power and creators have the power, but don't care. You need to find someone who can help the victim in the first case and who can stop the creator of the problem in the second. The audience cannot be your professor or your classmates. Look for a specific identified group of people who both care about the problem and have the power to do something about it. Social workers, teachers, maybe police officers, a social movement, a nonprofit, a government agency. There are other examples, of course, but these are a few that work for many issues.
0: I'm going to give the example that I give to both my intro and my crim students, because this happens a lot. I will have students come to me in intro or in crim and they'll say, I want to write about domestic violence. Okay, great, wonderful social problem, right? Very important thing to talk about. And then they say, and I'm going to write my paper to the victims and tell them how to get away from that jerk and how why they should never be with a jerk like that and why they should just walk out on him now. Okay, first two problems with this, one ethical, one logistical. The ethical problem is we know from research that the most dangerous moment in a domestic violence victim's life is when they're trying to leave their abuser. There's a very good chance they're going to get killed unless they're leaving with like a coalition of people surrounding them and keeping the abuser away from them. So let's not write a paper that gives that kind of advice, okay? Not a good idea, not ethical. But also, just in more general circumstances, when leaving on their own, Sure, a domestic violence victim really wants the abuse to stop. Absolutely. They care about it. But do they have the social or legal power to make it stop? Research and history tells us no, they don't. Not on their own. So they're a bad audience. So I tell this crestfallen crim student or intro student this, and they say, oh, okay, well, then I'll I'll write it to the abusers and tell them why they should stop abusing. Okay, now we've got the opposite problem. Because abusers, sure, they have the power to stop abusing. But do they care? No. So they're also a bad audience. So in this case, I would tell a student, give me a group that might be able to help either the victim or stop the abuser. Who would we be talking to? And they usually come up with social workers for the victim. And sometimes police for the abuser, if the police are just doing policing, like the whole defund the police thing is, let's just have police do policing stuff. Let's not make them do a bunch of stuff they're not trained for, right? So if police were just doing policing, paper to the police to say, hey, when you walk into a domestic violence situation, here's some things you should know, okay? The more you know, right? And so the other thing is that you must pick one and only one audience. You cannot write one paper to more than one audience. So if you tried to write this domestic violence paper to both social workers and police, it would not work because social workers and police have totally different views on what's important they have totally different views of what is good action to take what is right action what is wrong action what is effective and ineffective and you're going to be writing a paper that's fighting with itself so pick one and only one audience that both cares about the problem and can do something about it
1: remember too if we're looking at police and social workers they have very different tools and resources available to them and the way they frame your problem is not going to be the same they're going to frame it in a way that allows them to use their resources and their tools most effectively
0: right and this isn't just police and social workers i mean i had one student once who wanted to write a paper about juvenile delinquency and they had picked an astounding six audiences and they wanted them all to be in the paper they wanted to talk to police officers they wanted to talk to parents. They wanted to talk to teachers. They wanted to talk to scout leaders. They wanted to talk to the sports coaches, specifically little league coaches. And some other group, I can't remember. And I'm like, do you understand that all five of these groups are going to be fighting with each other? Pick one, you have five papers here. Okay. Because if you got five audiences, you have five different papers that you could write on the same topic with the same signposts and the same sources. And you would get five completely different papers because of the audience.
1: Now you've determined your topic, your signposts, your argument, and your audience. Finally, you are ready to move on to the next big piece of writing as construction, managing sources and main ideas from the literature. We'll talk about that in episode 102.
0: Now, just like Janor gave us writing as American football, writing as construction is my thing. And I developed this method of how to write a research paper first because so many students don't understand the underlying logic of how to write a paper. They just sit down and hope that they can start writing the introduction and eventually they'll get to the conclusion and they'll have a paper. And I wanted to give them a series of steps to follow so that they would write a strong paper instead of writing their whole paper last minute or or trying to write their whole paper last minute the night before it was due, sometimes even the morning of the day it was due, sometimes the afternoon of the evening it was due. And this had two benefits, one for them, one for me. For them, they learned how to write a paper in a way that actually made sense. And I stopped having to grade so many last-minute papers because they never got good grades anyway. And I am convinced that at least part of my pattern baldness has nothing to do with genetics and everything to do with pulling my hair out reading those papers. So the benefit is I still have some hair on the top of my head. Not much, but it's there.
1: One of the things this method really does effectively is it simplifies writing. And I think often when students are intimidated by writing, they psych themselves out. They try and answer every possible question to every possible audience everywhere. And that ends up being a really frustrating read. I think with this approach, that helps simplify the approach. It helps simplify the idea of, okay, we're looking either at causes or at effects and we're trying to convince one group of people. I think this approach really kind of condenses a lot of, problems. I think it streamlines the process. I think it simplifies a lot of things for students. And I think that if we can make writing simpler, that's a good thing. Writing still will take time and effort. It's still a skill you've got to put that energy into, but let's simplify it. Let's not make it feel like you've got to do 17,000 things at once. Let's focus on one thing at a time. The way students can use this, use this system to build up what you want to talk about why you want to talk about it, and what your supports for it will be. You'll be amazed at the difference in your stress levels. They'll drop. And the quality levels of your work, they'll rise. You never worry about what to talk about either, because the ACE method will help you come up with a topic every time. And you'll have a manageable topic when you use the time, place, people method of narrowing your topic down. Now, teachers
0: you can teach students how to structure your paper starting from the ground up. And this really helps students because it gives them a sense of control and autonomy over their paper because following steps that allow them to make choices, like we've been talking about, you know, choose one of the three topics that you generated with the ACE method. Okay, now choose, are you going to do causes or effects? Okay, now choose which signposts are lucky enough to get into your argument. That gives them such ownership over what they're writing. It begins to matter to them in ways that Until I started having students follow this process, I'd never seen any of them care about their research like they've cared about it since they started using this process. And often students struggle with writing papers, like Dinor said, simply because it's a gigantic project and they don't know how to break it into small steps. But if you teach them this way of doing it, if you say there are steps to writing a paper and the first one is figure out what you're talking about and why it matters to you. That can really reduce resistance to writing a paper. And it can even make students enthusiastic about writing a paper. I know it sounds crazy, but it actually works.
1: So that's what we have for you in episode 101. If you're finding this podcast helpful, please share it with your friends. We're always hoping to get new subscribers so we can help more people. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Android. We're hosted on Blueberry.com. Also, we would really appreciate it if you wrote a review of this podcast on Apple Podcasts.
0: Be sure to join us next week for episode 102, when we'll take you to the next big step in writing is construction, managing sources and their shared ideas. You've been listening to Learning Made Easier, a podcast about how we learn, how we teach and how they overlap.
1: We want to say thank you to all of our supporters on Patreon who make this podcast possible. If you want to support us, please go to www.patreon.com slash easier. We look forward to seeing you next week.